In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. What a very long winter this has been. For some reason, it just seems like it dragged on longer than usual. Maybe I always feel that way around this time of year. But we're coming out of it now. The warmer air and the warm rains have softened the ground so that tulip and jonquil leaves are breaking up through the earth. The crocus, and for some reason it's always the yellow ones, have already started blooming. But earlier than them all is one of my favorites, the Helleborus. It can come out as early as February. And not just a few leaves, but blooming with beautiful flowers, purple and pink and yellow and cream. And they look a little out of place. I'm still bundled up, wearing my scarf, standing beneath a gray and leafless winter canopy. And yet, here in my flower bed is a bright celebration of color and spring. I guess I find it fitting that the common name of the Helleborus, this bit of spring joy in the dreary days of waning winter, is the Lenten rose. It's strange, but it's beautiful. Our readings for this week are kind of like a Lenten rose, especially the readings of the gospel of the prodigal son and the reading from our Old Testament, Isaiah. For here in the midst of this penitential season, we are struck by a theme of joy. It is unexpected, strange, but it is beautiful. I suppose liturgically this has a precedent in what was called in the older lectionary Litare Sunday, which functioned as a kind of pause for joy in the middle of the Lenten season. Some even wore pink vestments, kind of like that third candle in Advent. No, I'm not going to do that. But the precedent of this liturgical history bears witness to an important truth, that being surprised by joy in the middle of penitential sorrow is consonant with the nature of the gospel itself. And Isaiah, as he is wont to do, gives us a foretaste of this today. In the chapters that precede and culminate in our text, Isaiah brings an ebb and flow of weal and woe, of judgment and justice, of wrath and rescue. And Judah and Jerusalem are chastened for their rebellion and their disobedience. They are faced with the threat of Syria and Ephraim and the coming ambition and arrogance of Assyria. And yet, she is at the same time offered the hope of salvation in the coming of a Davidic king. That paradoxical root and branch of Jesse who will, with the presence of God in Emmanuel, bring judgment and justice and peace. 
All this, Isaiah says, will come to pass in that day. A loaded term, to be sure. A term that's loaded with the future promises sure to come, but not here yet. And in that day, says Isaiah, a song of gratitude and joy for salvation will be sung. But lo and behold, that song is here in our text. And it's already given to God's people in the thick of it all, even before that day. With words of judgment over their many sins still ringing in their ears, with the fear of their enemies still pressing down on them, God places into their mouths a song of joy. That's so strange, but it's beautiful. The song begins with a single voice. It's the individual personal expression of thanksgiving for the turning away of God's anger. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. O God, you are my salvation. I will trust in you and not be afraid, for my strength and my song is Yahweh, O Yahweh, and he has become my salvation. But then the joy of this song spills over from the one to the many. So that by the end of the song, the singular has given way to plurality, the individual singer to the choirs of a nation. And the song grows into a chorus that makes known God's deeds and name among the peoples and nations. A chorus that sounds forth from Zion in whose midst is the Holy One of Israel and echoes now throughout all of the earth. Even as we hear the many tongues of the nations this day, so will it be. But to sing of that in a time when the nations of the earth seem to be turned against you, how strange, how beautiful. Well, there is precedent for this sort of thing. That is, in fact, part of Isaiah's point. For though he writes about a time yet to be, the promise and hope of this song are grounded in the faithfulness and might of God's deeds of deliverance in the past. In the chapters preceding, Isaiah repeatedly reminds and directs Israel's attention back to the Exodus as precedent and exemplar of God's saving work. So that even now, he incorporates the ancient song of Moses from Exodus 15 directly into this new song of deliverance. My strength and my song is Yahweh, and he has become my salvation. You can imagine back then, at the shores of the Red Sea, terror suddenly and unexpectedly turned into triumph, fear turned into joy. And just as Israel burst forth into song after witnessing this sea, which became both their passage to deliverance and the destruction of Pharaoh, that strange and horrible and beautiful baptism of death and resurrection, God now promises his people through Isaiah a reason to sing again. 
God will save his people. And it will be mighty and wondrous. Your iniquities, your enemies, your sorrows will not have the last word. That belongs to God, to Emmanuel, to the child who unto us is given, and to the joyful song of the saints. Isaiah's song of joy comes to our lips now today, but in a new way, because that day foretold has already dawned for us in Jesus. And it was strange and unexpected and unlooked for. And though God's people languished and were weighed down by the oppression of their enemies, a nation that was in perpetual penitence and mourning, Jesus came and called for joy in the presence of the bridegroom, for figs from a tree that was out of season, for children to sing praises, and if they were silenced, then stones. And he spoke of the kingdom of God as a feast, as a marriage, as a banquet, as a harvest, as the inexpressible joy of the lost now found, indeed, of the dead now alive again. And thus, in the most strange and most horrific and most beautiful surprise, Jesus was crucified, and then he rose again to life. And in that cross, and resurrection, the judgment and justice and peace of that promised day has come to pass. Sins forgiven, enemies despoiled, and new life granted. And though our present age continues to be this churning of weal and woe and tragedy and blessedness, God has given us perfect precedent for eternal joy. For in Christ, the salvation of our God has come. Our Lenten rose has blossomed. And the joyous song of Easter's eternal spring has already been placed in our mouths. Alleluia. Amen.